We've been talking uh, this month on uh, kind of the theme of hope, and uh, there's much to be thankful for, and with the Lord we have hope. He is our hope. Uh, we've been singing this uh, the song, My Hope is in the Lord, who gave his life for me, and paid the price for all my sin at Calvary. A good song. I pray that uh, this is something that you should have in, in your heart through the week as we sing these praises to the Lord. Once you find your place, Romans chapter 15, we'll read a few verses. I invite you to stand if you're able to for the reading of God's word. Uh, Romans chapter 15. We're going to be again reading in verse 7. Romans 15, begin reading in verse 7. The Bible says, Wherefore, receive ye one another, as Christ also received us to the glory of God. Now I say that Jesus Christ was a minister of the circumcision for the truth of God to confirm the promises made unto the fathers, and that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. As it is written, For this cause I will confess to thee among the Gentiles, and sing unto thy name. And again he saith, Rejoice, ye Gentiles, with his people. And again, Praise the Lord, all ye Gentiles, and laud him, all ye people. And again, Isaiah saith, there shall be a root of Jesse, and he shall rise to reign over the Gentiles, and him shall the Gentiles trust. And this is the verse we'll kind of focus on a lot today in verse 13. Now the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Ghost. Today we're going to look at the God of hope. Looking at this passage, again, we're going to really focus mostly on verse 13 towards the end here. Now the God of all hope, God of hope, fill you with all joy and peace in believing they may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Ghost. So, but as we look at this, there's a lot that goes in. It, it, Paul is writing this book here to the Romans, to the believers there. And uh, he kind of does, and kind of like any good preacher does, he says, and in conclusion, now if I say that, you know, most I've tried to be honest as I can. To do that, but there's a lot of preachers who will say, and in conclusion, that means there's probably 15 more minutes left of the message before that end. Finally, you know, it kind of goes to that end. Paul does that a lot here in Romans. There's probably about three or four places you could probably say that Paul is about ready to wrap it up, and then he goes on for another chapter. Okay? He's a good preacher. He must have been a Baptist, all right? <laughs> but nonetheless, as we look at this, this phrase and as we look at this message, uh, Paul here is really giving a praise, if you will, and, and even a prayer about now the God of all, he'll fill you with all joy. He's writing this to the believers in, in Rome. Um, there's some debate on whether they are totally Jewish, totally Gentile, but nonetheless, both groups are addressed in this wonderful book. Uh, get a time to study through Romans. It's, it's a, a wonderful, wonderful book to study through. But nonetheless, as we think about this, we're going to kind of look a little bit about behind the scenes, what is taking place and what is the message that the Apostle Paul is giving to those, those early believers there? But also, I would say to us as well, what we, can we glean from it? What can we rejoice in as we think about the God of hope? And actually, the question that comes to our mind is really, what binds us together as believers in Jesus Christ? What really brings us together here today? You notice, you look around the room even today, and we all come from different backgrounds Different experiences, different interests, things like that, different sports teams. I mean, what, when you think about that, we all come from different backgrounds. So really, what's the point of us meeting here today? Uh, the epistle of 1 John, I know Woody's going through that in Sunday school, but the, the main focus of 1 John, or a big highlight, a theme of it, is fellowship, that we have one with another through who? Jesus Christ, okay? 
We're not just, you know, sometimes people say fellowship is just a bunch of fellows in a ship, but they might not all get along either, you know, depending on who's catching what, you know. But as we think about this, we all come here together for a main reason. What is the main reason that we come? It's that fellowship that we have through Jesus Christ. He is the reason that we have come here together today here at Victory Baptist Church. And not just our church, but many other churches around the world that are meeting this day or over this weekend and giving praise and honor to our great Savior, Jesus Christ. To Him be glory, both now and forever. Amen. My challenge is that we would glorify Him as well. That we would glorify Jesus Christ as a church and as believers as well, individually. But I would say this, that a lot of times discouragements do arise and disagreements may arise in the body, in the local body even. And in Romans chapters 14 and 15, Paul addresses and exhorts the believers to kind of how to handle each other's differences. And we're going to kind of look at a few of those here in a little bit. But as we think about this, Paul really, his main goal is to assure the believers of the God of hope that works in their lives. And by doing this, the end result is that the believers, no matter what disagreements or, or barriers that may be between them, or misunderstandings that the God of hope, that through him we would receive joy, peace, and abounding hope through the power of the Holy, Holy Spirit. Hope is not merely wishful thinking. Some people say that when they talk about hope. Well, I hope it won't rain today. It's supposed to rain tomorrow, okay? <laughs> it's a nice sunny day. It was the first day of sunshine we've had in quite a while. It feels great. I don't know about you. But, you know, we, a lot of times we kind of look at hope like that, wishful thinking. Well, I hope it'll come true. I hope someone will show up. I hope someone will remember me. It's kind of like this wishful thinking. But a Christian's hope is vastly different because hope that we have is a surety. It's a reality when we trust in the God of hope. It's an expectation that we know will come to pass. It just hasn't it, but we're waiting for that day. We're waiting and waiting for that day when the Lord will answer. For example, we talk about the blessed hope when the Lord himself shall return for us. And we pray that could be any day. Uh, even so come, Lord Jesus. Now, for us, I'll be honest with you, I'm going to challenge you. If you think that's simply wishful thinking, I'll be honest with you, most Christians live their lives that way. Yeah, it'd be great if Jesus could come today and just clean this place out. A lot of times we think that way. That's our mindset. That's our attitude. But we have a confidence and a sure word that we have before us that this is an expectant hope, that we have a living and a vibrant hope. We can praise God for that. So hope is not wishful thinking. It's a reality when we trust in the God of hope. That's our focus today. In the beginning of Romans chapter 15, uh, Paul actually admonishes the believers to live and to serve together. It says in verse 1, we then that are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak and not please ourselves. Let every one of us please his neighbor for his good to, the edifica for, to edification. For even Christ pleased not himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of them that reproach thee fell on me. So in looking at these few verses, Paul, what he's doing is he's actually continuing a thought from chapter 14. At the beginning of chapter 14, look with me there. We'll just look at the beginning of Romans 14. And Paul is saying, listen, this is really how to live with one another, um, having righteous living in, in the body among believers. It says, him that is weak in the faith, receive ye, but not to doubtful disputations. For, everyone, for, uh, for one believeth that he may eat all things, another who is weak eateth herbs. 
He that let him that eateth despise him not that he is not, and let him, not him which eateth not judge him that eateth, for God hath received him. Read that verse three five times fast. Okay, it's a tongue twister. I'm trying. Okay. But as we see this, it's talking about a a weak believer and a strong believer. He's using this analogy, and this is not someone who's necessarily physical weak, but he's giving that understanding more in spiritual context. Uh, Think of it this way, as a, maybe a strong, mature believer, someone who is, you know, they, maybe they have their degrees or whatever in Bible or whatever it may be, and you have a newborn babe in Christ. And as we think about this, some things that are Think of the milk and meat of the word, so to speak, as we handle that. And so how do we judge one another? How do we even work with differences within the church? Uh, we all, we believe that the Bible is a final authority for, for life and practice. We have, we're unashamed about that. It, it reveals to us uh, who Jesus Christ is and how we should follow him. We are unapologetic about that. But when it comes to secondary and, and tertiary uh, things as well, how do we respond to one another? And that is through grace that we have through Jesus Christ. And so the idea, though, Paul is saying this, that we should have unity in Christ. And again, back in chapter 15, we who are the strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak and not to please ourselves. And again, this should be done for edification. In other words, we should look after one another in the body of Christ. This is life touching life. This is discipleship when you think about this. That this, there are too many Christians that live isolated lives they think, I can be a Christian on my own. I can read the Bible on my own. I can go out to church in my deer stand. How many of you have ever heard that? How many ever said that? Don't raise your hand, okay? <laughs> but the thing is, there's too many Christians that live their Christian life in isolation. The body of Christ, the local church is God's idea. There is no plan B. So this is so important that we come together. But when we come, obviously, there's sometimes... There are disagreements. There's rifts, things, things that, that happen. Paul addresses that. How do we do that? Is by looking after one another, helping one another. That's life touching life, okay? You might not like the color of my tie, but I do. Ha, so there, okay? <laughs> but as we think about this, folks, we get along with one another. Things like the color of my tie, for example. You know what? In, this, in the scope of eternity, what is that really? Our focus should be on what Christ has done for us. Who we are in Christ, that fellowship, as 1 John says, that fellowship that have, we have one with another in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. This is why we come together. And so that's kind of my challenge just today, as we look at the God of hope today, that our eyes would be fastened upon Jesus Christ and what he has done for us. And just a little bit, again, we're going to be taking of the Lord's Supper. And that's a solemn moment for us, a serious time for us, as we come together to remember what Jesus Christ did for us because of his great love for us. Oh, my, we should have a, a heart of thankfulness every day for what Jesus has done. I hope that's your testimony today. But as we see this here, this is a call here, I believe, in ver- chapter 15. It's a call to unity in the body of Christ by looking after one another. After one another, You see, we do not come together for common interest, but for a common life. Think about that. We don't come together here at Victory Baptist Church for common interest. We come here for a common life. And our life is Jesus Christ. That's why we are here today. In that, we are called to glorify Christ. Look with me down, uh, beginning in verse 4 there. It says, For whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning, that we, through patience or endurance, and comfort of the Scriptures, might have what? Hope. 
Okay, and Paul's going to continue that idea here in just a moment. Verse 5, Now the God of patience and consolation grants you to be like-minded one toward another according to Jesus Christ. Again, Paul's admonishing unity in the church that we become one with, one with another because of Jesus Christ in our life in Him. Again, it's not a common interest in Jesus. It's a common life in Jesus. That's why we're here. Jesus is our life. He should be your life as well. Everything you do in life, whether it be at work, whether it be in school, the retired folks here, whatever your life is, make it about Jesus Christ. Let Him receive all glory through your walk. And as we come together, let Jesus Christ be magnified above all else. He's worthy of praise. By the way, having unity in the body, even the local body of Christ here, is really one way to glorify God. When we come here together and we praise the name of the Lord, God is glorified, 100%. We shouldn't, I don't know about you, I'm excited about that. The Lord is happy. You know, talk to a child. How do you explain to a child, how do you glorify God? I like when we did our children's ministry back in Tennessee, we said, how do you glorify God? Simply, kids, make God happy. Make God happy. How do you make God happy? When we get along. I tell you what, in our own parents, my, my parents instilled it in me, and they still do. They, my dad still re- reminds me from time. Kids, when you get older, make sure you share one another's addresses and phone numbers and you know, keep in touch with each other. Have that unity in the family. I know some families it's difficult, but what the, what's the ideal? Is that those families will remain strong together. And the same thing in the body of Christ, that we remain strong together as we give glory to God. I think in light of this, what is Paul referring to? I think there's really different maturity levels, talking about the weak and the strong believers here. Think about it as spiritual maturity levels. could be a, a babe in Christ versus someone who is, again, could have degrees or maybe many years of Sunday school teaching. I don't know. I, I want to say this. I, I remember one way we could do that. I'm thinking of my own cousin, Ronnie. He's uh, my second cousin, actually. Ronnie, uh, when he got saved, uh, he was very new to the faith. My dad got him a Bible, you know, after he got saved, and he started reading it just slowly. It took him a while to really kind of get the hang of it. And so he went to, he, my dad invited him to go to a special meeting at a church somewhere, and the, I think they had a guest speaker in that day. I, I don't remember all this, who it was. It doesn't really matter. But my, my cousin, uh, the, the, the preacher, whoever it was, said, turn to this passage. Then turn to this passage and turn to this passage. They probably were in about 20 different passages. And my cousin, who was very new in the, in the faith, he got lost after the second passage. I mean, he, you could barely find John versus Genesis. You know, it, it was very hard for him. That's one of the reasons you probably know but even when I preach. And I, I'm not trying to dumb this down at all, folks. But I like to try to stick in one central passage. At times, we'll look at a few others as necessary. But as we really soak into this, that we really know our scriptures. For believer, new believers in Christ, I pray that if you're a mature believer, that you'll come alongside someone, life-touching life, and that you'll be, hey, open the scriptures with me. We're going to find John, for example. We're going to find Romans 15 and help one another out. I'm experiencing this as well. Every other week, the Lord has blessed this, folks. I'm giving this as a testimony to the Lord. Uh, every other week, I've been going over to Broadwell Senior Living in Plymouth. That's where Marty Nelson is. Again, she sent her greetings. So I do this little Bible study. We meet for about an hour. Marty's there. It's a delight. But she's the only Baptist in the group, folks. <laughs> we have a group, maybe about 10 of us, that meet all together when everyone's there. we got a background of everything from good old Lutherans, Methodists. Uh, we have a Universalist couple in the church, or not in the church, in the Bible study. It's just kind of a variety of, of groups. And so... 
if I go through a whole bunch of different scriptures, folks, some, most of them don't even bring a Bible. They just listen to me. So I have to keep things really simple on that because I'm still trying to figure out where they are spiritually. So this is the idea. As we teach and preach the Word of God, as you study yourselves here, is to really be grounded in that. And so my, my challenge is, is that we be gracious to one another. Be gracious and thoughtful one and be helpful for one another as we do this. And you know what? God is glorified when we do this. Okay? By the way, I think this is something interesting. As we look here in verse... Uh, Verse 7 now, Wherefore, receive ye one another as Christ has also received us to the glory of God. You know, as you receive or treat one another that way, not only are you helping someone, but according to the Bible, according to God's plan, you are also being helped. You are also growing. You also receive that blessing in that. So don't think of a burden of helping a young believer. If anything, you should jump at the chance. You should help them. Be gracious to them. And so that's what we're doing here. So... What does this have to do with hope? Well, now we're getting to that, okay? So Paul is dealing with these issues, and now here, really from verses 8 to 13, or verse 12, actually, uh, we're, we're looking at a few things. It says here in verse 8, and he's describing this. How can we have this hope? And verse 8 says this, Now I say that Jesus Christ was also a minister or servant of the circumcision for the truth of God to confirm the promise made unto the fathers. So what is this talking about here? that Jesus Christ was a minister. Actually, it's funny, the Greek word here is diakonos, where we get the word deacon from. But the idea is that he's a servant of the circumcision. What, what is he talking about here? Actually, it's more so, who is he talking about here? Who did Jesus come to serve? The Jewish people. Jesus came to his own, but his own received him. He came to his own. He went and he told his disciples that he came but to be sent to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Okay, so this is very important as we see this. We also see even in Paul's writings here in Romans that the gospel is to everyone that believes to who? To the Jew first and also to the Greek. Okay, in other words, Jesus is the Jewish Messiah. And if, by the way, folks, if he was not the Jewish Messiah, then we have no Jewish, we don't have a Messiah at all. He came to fulfill the law. He came to fulfill the prophecies that were told about him. This is amazing when you think about that. That was Jesus' purpose. He came as a minister of the Jewish people. Why? For two things. For the truth of God to confirm the promises he made to the fathers. Okay? So basically to validate that what the scripture said about the Messiah is so. It's found in Jesus Christ. Okay? Amazing prophecies that we see. In verse 9, this is the second reason. In that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. As it is written, for this cause I will confess to thee among the Gentiles and sing unto thy name. And so the second purpose that we see here in, uh, in verses 8 and 9 is this, that the Gentiles would be called to glorify God as well and to know him as well. You know, there's a, it's interesting, being involved in Jewish ministry for many years, I often would hear, especially early on in ministry, it says, well, how can God save the Jew? Think about that. Really, the question is, how can God save the Gentile? How can a Gentile be saved? You think about that. The, the prophecies that it was given to, again, to Israel. God blessed them through the seed of Abraham. Okay, We have received two great blessings of eternal value through Abraham. The word of God and the God of the word of the Messiah. For that we should be ever grateful. But the ultimate goal is not just for the Jewish people to know God and to glorify him, but that the whole world would glorify God as well and know him. And that's through the Gentiles. I don't know about you, but the vast majority of us here are Gentiles. The vast majority of churches in the world are Gentiles. Can you say God did a pretty good job in his plan? And it's still going. 
this gospel is given to both Jew and Gentile. Okay? This is, this is amazing when you think about that. Jesus came to serve and minister to the Jewish people, the circumcision. Uh, again, the gospel is given to the Jew first. The Gentiles are called to know and glorify God. Now we see a breakdown of this. Paul then relays a little bit in detail God's plan and purpose for the church for both Jew and Gentile. What is his plan? We find that in verses 9 through 12. Okay, he's given a couple references to the Old Testament. Paul does this almost like a lawyer, uh, giving it very distinctly. It's really amazing. It says again in verse 9, Paul says, For this cause I will confess thee among the Gentiles and sing unto thy name. Paul there is quoting uh, from um, Psalm chapter 18, verse uh, 49. So here's the, the idea as we see this here. The Gentiles have experienced God's mercy. Again, verse 9, it says that the Gentiles might glorify God for what? For his mercy. What is the mercy that's been extended to them? It's basically God's salvation. That the message went to them, and then also that the Jesus Christ, who died on that cross for the Jewish people, not just died for them, but died for the sins of the whole world. I don't know about you, but that's you and me, and that's hope, folks. That's hope right there. We have salvation in Jesus Christ. It's not limited to one people group, the Jewish people. It's, limited, it's given to all. This message of salvation is for all who will hear to call upon the name of the Lord to be saved. And for this cause, like I said, he will confess thee among the Gentiles and sing to thy name. Um, what is happening here is that the Jews here will glorify God among the Gentiles. That's Psalm 19, verse 49. Paul, Paul is quoting that. Then he goes in verse 10. This is kind of where it gets a little bit more precise. And again, he says, Paul is quoting another passage of Scripture. It says, Rejoice ye Gentiles with his people. Okay? And so the call is here from, uh, that the Gentiles will rejoice with the Jewish people. They will rejoice in this great God. They will glorify God with the Jewish people. This is a quote from Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 43. Paul is quoting here the Torah, the, the, the uh, first five books of the law. Next, we see here in verse 11. And again, Paul's quoting from a different book. He says, Praise the Lord, all ye Gentiles, and laud him, all ye people. Paul here is quoting from now the book of Psalms. The book of Psalm 117, verses 1 and 2. Praise the Lord, all ye Gentiles, all ye nations. Laud him or praise him, all ye people. So as we see here, what is happening? The praise to God is... It's not just Jews with the, uh, in the Gentiles. He is doing this as a combined group. Jews and Gentiles are both giving glory to God. That's his plan. By the way, later on in the book of Ephesians, Paul describes the church as being made up of both Jew and Gentiles, one in Messiah. This is a beautiful thing. We find that back in Romans chapter 11, about that as the Gentiles were grafted into that olive tree. And there we give praise and glory to God. So the Gentiles have a very key part in God's plan for the ages. God's message of salvation is given to the Jew first and praise God also to the Greeks, to the Gentiles. Praise God for that. I don't know about you, but I'm about ready to do a happy dance, okay? But don't watch. It's not fun. <laughs> but as we think about this, this is amazing when we think about that. So we see here the Jews and Gentiles praise God together. And then we see here in verse 12, that the Jesus shall now reign over Jews and Gentiles in verse 12. And again, Isaiah saith, There shall be a root of Jesse, and he that shall rise to reign over the Gentiles, and him shall the Gentiles trust. And again, the idea is that Jesus, the Messiah here, shall reign over the Gentiles. Here's the thing. Jesus Christ will reign over all nations. That's the point that we have here. 
That's from Isaiah chapter 11, talking about the Messiah when he does come. And by the way, we see that book of Zechariah, for example, Zechariah 14, that Jesus Christ, the Messiah, will rule and reign over all nations, Jew and Gentile. I think that's just amazing. I think here's an interesting point here. Look at the very end of verse 12. In him shall the Gentiles trust. It's interesting that the Greek word there is actually the word for hope. It's, it's a similar Greek word for trust. You can really translate it both ways, okay? And as you think about that, in him shall the Gentiles trust, or in him shall the Gentiles hope. And here's a recurring theme that we have here, that people can trust in the God of hope. Amen. Jews can trust in the God of hope. Gentiles can trust in the God of hope. You can trust in the God of hope. And what a difference that makes in your life, Okay. By the way, I'm going to share just one little tidbit from there here. This is really interesting how Paul makes this. In verses um, 10 through 12, if you notice the order where Paul gets his quotations from, verse 10, Paul's quoting from the book of Deuteronomy. That's the Torah. In verse 11, he is quoting here from the Psalms. That is called the writings, okay? And then in verse 12, he is quoting here from uh, from the book of um, Isaiah, which is the prophets, which is interesting. I have here in my hand here a Hebrew Old Testament, a Tanakh is what we call it. Tanakh is actually in a Hebrew abbreviation uh, for the Old Testament, Torah, Nevi'im, Ketuvim, which is the, the writings of Psalms and the prophets. Okay, So this is actually how the Old Testament in a Hebrew Bible is actually laid out differently than the Bible that you have in your lap. Okay, it's actually laid out differently because of that. Jesus himself quoted in John, it's to be in Luke chapter 24, that the, the, uh, the scriptures are written of me, the, the law, the, the writings and the prophets, okay, the Psalms and the prophets. So this is kind of an interesting thing. He's using a Jewish uh, expression. So those in the Jewish audience would have picked up on that immediately. In other words, all this is given here to rest our assurance that we can trust in the God of hope. Why? Because God's plan for the ages will not fail. His promises are true. That's the point of this. Okay? So here we go. From all these verses that we say, and Paul's building his case, that there is much to rejoice about, much to thank God about. So now we turn our attention to the assurance that God's promises are true. How do we know that they're true? Because we can have confidence and hope in the God of hope. If he has saved us, and I trust he has saved you, We not only have hope for what Jesus has done for us, but also as we hope to live for him, giving glory to his name. And now we turn our attention to verse 13. Now the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, and that ye may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Ghost. There's two big things that we can see from this passage here in verse 13. Number one, that God is the source of hope. He is the source of all hope. In that, he is also the object of our hope as well. He's both things. He's the source. He's the author of it. He is where, where does hope come from? From the Lord. Okay? He is the God of hope. But he's also the object of it. That is who we hope in as well. He's the foundation, if you will, of that. So this is very important as we look at this passage here, that the God of hope, who is this God of hope? I'm going to share with you just a couple of remarks from Adam Clark, uh, an, an older commentator. He talks here about the God of hope. He says this, May the God of hope, of this hope, that God who caused both Jews and Gentiles to hope that the gracious promises which he had made to them should be fulfilled, who according as he fulfilled them. Okay? So, 
with that in mind, again, this here is a prayer. It's a prayer that we would receive this hope as well, that we would understand this hope. You see, what is this hope about? Who is it centered on? It's centered on Jesus Christ, being one in Him, focused on Him. And here's the point, that the God of hope, how do we have hope? Because He raised His Son, Jesus Christ, from the dead, bringing life and light by the gospel. That's why we have hope, folks. Uh, later on, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul goes on to explain in depth about the resurrection, and through that, that we have hope. Praise God for that. Without the re- resurrection, we have no hope. If Jesus simply died and remained dead, why are we here, folks? That's the point, okay? We have a vibrant and living hope because why? Jesus has been raised from the dead. The God of hope has done this. So with that in mind, Adam Clark goes on to say, look at the next part of the verse. It says, fill you with all joy and peace in believing. What this is, is Paul is giving a prayer. It's a short little prayer. He's praying for the believers there. This is a petition to the God of hope. And Paul here resorts again to prayer, knowing that all of his exhortations would be useless without the grace of God that accompanies them. There's nothing that we do in this life, in our Christian life, without the grace of God, folks. Nothing we do without the grace of God. We desperately need, we daily need his grace. What does that look like? How does the grace of God accompany us? It's mentioned in three things. We first of all find here in verse 13, that we would have, that God would, here's the prayer, that God, the God of hope would fill you with all joy. This is, by the way, I, I love this, that God fills you with all joy, not some joy. Think about that. I think so many times we get discouraged in our Christian life, something doesn't go right, issues come up in our life, and we, we lose our joy. But you know what happens? We often, we just settle for some joy. But God has blessed us in giving us all joy. He's not going to leave you shorthanded. He's going to fill you with all joy, not just some joy. But what is this joy? Joy, this is a spiritual joy. This is a joy that gives true spiritual happiness. True spiritual happiness. Some say, you know, God wants you to be happy. There's a lot of even famous preachers who write books that God just wants you to be happy, that everything go well in your life, that you have all the riches, your bank account will be overflowing, all that. God never promised that. God never promised an easy path, folks. But he has promised to give us joy. That no matter what our condition may be, our circumstances of life may be, that God's joy will remain in us. Will fill us with not just some joy, with all joy. That results, that gives us true spiritual happiness. Also, it gives us peace in our hearts. It says here that fill you with all joy and peace in believing. This is that peace in the heart, peace that passes all understanding. That, no, again, no matter what the circumstances, again, uh, what is it? Peace is not the absence of conflict and struggle, okay? Peace is really the presence of God in that struggle. That's what we have. It's knowing that we are secure in Him. This gives us assurance. And then also, it gives us unity among ourselves, unity in this. If we have true joy, folks, in this church, if we have true joy here at Victory Baptist Church, we will have the peace of God here, and we'll be unified among ourselves, by the way, when we look at this, the hope, the joy, and the, uh, and the peace that we have, what does it sound like? It sounds like parts of the, part of the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians chapter 5. By the way, here's the thing. A lot of people, even Christians, they try to produce their own peace. They try to produce their own joy, try to produce their own hope. But the fruit of the Spirit is not something that we produce. It's not the fruit. It's not my fruit. It's the fruit of the Spirit who gives it to us. And this is the important thing. Okay, with that, it comes humility. 
that we have here. Let's talk about the peace here. The peace here, it says here, the peace in believing. What is that referring to? The peace in believing is not only in the promises which he has given, uh, given you, but also believing in Christ Jesus, in whom all promises are yes and amen. So again, the promises in believing are just not promises given to you, but they're found in a person in Jesus Christ. God fills us with blessings in his joy and peace in believing. That, what is this believing about? This believing is really active believing. This is active or a, a living faith. This is something that continues. This is something that you just, not when you get saved, okay, I got joy now. All right, if you want to sing the song, go ahead. I got the joy, joy, joy down in my heart. That doesn't just happen at salvation. That comes daily. We need that daily, folks. We need that focus. This is, this is talking, Paul is talking about here having an active believing or a living faith. What this does is this equips us then to live in a common bond of unity as God has called us to. Very important. What does God call us to be unified in him? Have that unity in spirit, okay? So God equips us with that, with that joy and peace. So the final part of this is that we would abound in hope. How do we abound in hope? The word abound there, it's an interesting word. It actually talks about overabundance or overflowing. It's the fountain of God that just won't stop. Praise God for that. Uh, I, how desperately we are needing the abundance of hope. Uh, I like what uh, D.L. Moody said this, that we are leaky vessels. Therefore, we need to be under the fountain of God's spirit all the time. Very important, Okay. So with that, what does the abundance look like? By knowing God. Knowing the God of hope gives us a broad scope of salvation which God has provided for us. And then also our expectations. What is your expectation? A lot of times when people have maybe an issue come up in their life, they say, well, what are, what's your expectation? What are you really expecting of, of this? What is your expectation? Our expectation should be fulfilled by the power of the Holy Spirit. It should be from God. Enabling you to do what? To hope and to believe. To have that living faith. I like what the songwriter says, Oh, for grace to trust him more. This is what it points out to here. The peace and the hope that we have in Christ should urge us to long more for his grace. Not in my grace. I can't. I don't have grace, folks. It has to come from God. Very important. And then, finally, the sealing of the fulfillment of the promises upon your hearts. That's assurance. God gives us assurance, and that's done through the Holy Ghost. So, here's, what do we do with this, though? What do we do with this abounding hope and this joy and peace that God has given us through His Holy Spirit? What do we do with it? You see here, an abounding hope should become a shared hope. This is really the fact that the gospel should be proclaimed to the nations. This goes back to what Paul was talking about earlier, that God's plan for the ages was that the gospel be presented both to the Jews and to the Gentiles, and that the whole world would honor and praise and glorify God. So abounding hope should be a shared hope. Gospel should be proclaimed among the nations in that and sharing that very hope. So as we yield ourselves to the Lord, I believe that the God of hope will give us more joy, really all joy, peace, and abounding hope. By the power of the Holy Spirit, we are strengthened to live for the God of hope in unity. I like what John Phillips' commentator said this, There is nothing hopeless about the Christian life. <laughs> That's true. We have blessed assurance when we trust in the God of hope. He also says, We have nothing helpless in the Christian life. We have boundless assistance when we trust in the God of hope. That's through the power of the Holy Spirit. God is there for you. Maybe you're, you're figuring, you feel like you're on the edge of the ropes right now. You're on the edge of the cliff, even in your spiritual life. What is this making sense? God has given you abundant blessings. He is there. You're not hopeless, and you're not helpless. 
God has given us his, design, his uh, divine assistance. Therefore, this helps us to press on. And that's what Paul is admonishing the Romans here, the Roman believers, that they would become unified in Jesus Christ, abounding in the very hope that's given. And that's done through the gospel. That's a praise that we have here. Believing in this brings unity among believers for the glory of God. Where there is division, there is no joy, there is no peace, and there is no hope. I, I admonish that we would remember what Christ has done for us on the cross, giving us his salvation, giving honor to the God of hope. Therefore, we may live for him. There's a song we sing sometimes, Blessed be the tie that binds our hearts in Christian love. The fellowship of kindred minds is like to that above. Folks, we need to get heaven focused. Focus on Jesus Christ. Whatever may be going on in life, whatever may be going on with your neighbor, you know what, we confess that before the Lord. Because that doesn't honor the Lord. But unifying among Jesus Christ does that. And the result of this is that we would have hope. And the God of hope, abounding hope, all joy and peace that only He can give. I don't know about you, but that's encouraging to me. I uh, kind of closing this up here before we take of the Lord's Supper. Uh, back many years ago when we were in Israel, we had a Friday night Bible study that we did. And uh, our, <laughs> it was an interesting group of folks. We had people, a lot of Filipinos that were in there, people from the former Soviet Union, had a lady from Argentina, had a Burmese family there. We had a lot of different ethnic groups and language groups going on. And in that group, you can imagine, sometimes... Uh, you know, they might get on each other's nerves because of language, because of cultural differences, things like that. But what kept us together? What kept this hodgepodge group of all these different nationalities together, both Jew and Gentile, what kept us together? It was by basically loving one another, preferring one another, and by basically trusting in the God of hope. Even when there were some of those believers that were asking questions like every three minutes, and they're like, okay, we got to get on with the lesson. But you know what? Patiently, God worked in that group in so many ways. Because why? We kept our focus on the Lord. We endeavored to do that. Were we always successful? No. But that was our main goal. Folks, here at Victory Baptist, let's keep the main thing the main thing. Let's focus on Jesus Christ. In just a moment here, we will take a moment just to examine ourselves and uh, reflect on what Jesus Christ has done for us, His broken body and His blood that was shed for us. And I tell you, if there is anything that unifies a church, it's by remembering the Lord's Supper.